0: You are listening to the Dr. Michelle Corral Show. It is our prayer that as you listen to these podcasts, that you will receive your deliverance, breakthrough, anointing, and highest destiny. Our prayer is that your love for Jesus Christ be first in your life above all things. Now, here's Dr. Corral.
1: First of all, dear dear people of God, if we begin with the subject matter tonight, if there be a prophet among you, before we look at the gifts of the Holy Spirit, tonight I want to distinctly make a difference between the gift of prophecy and how it operates in the church and the office of prophet. It is so important that we know the difference because the two are not the same. And unfortunately, because we think all the gifts are the same and it's very, very easy when we see someone with a prophetic gift to automatically associate the prophetic gift that we see in that person as that person to be in the office of prophet. But I want to, first of all, clarify, before we explain how the Holy Spirit intends the gift of prophecy to operate in the church, and how... We are to run our lives, literally. The scripture is going to show us tonight from the book of Acts how it is God's will that we do not despise prophesying and how our lives come under the submission of the Holy Spirit and what he says, what he wants us to do, and how we learn how to follow his yielded, his leading in every area of our life. So let's begin with Ephesians 4, verse 11, and we're going to look at it. He gave some apostles some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Now watch what the office of prophet is for. Watch what the office of evangelist and the office of pastor, teacher, prophet, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher all have the same denominator. They all have the same mission but a different office in order to accomplish that mission so that we might understand the office mission, the office work of the Holy Spirit which includes the five-fold office. There is a common denominator and we're going to see this a lot in the way we see the gifts of the Spirit move and the way we see the ministry of the Spirit move. We are going to see one common denominator but various expressions of how the Spirit of God is going to move in each one of them. But we're going to look and see what Ephesians teaches us, because Ephesians is going to teach us about the common denominator between the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. And we need to see this really quickly. The Bible says, for the perfecting of the saints, What is that for? That means the office of prophet has been designed along with the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. In the office, the the one who stands in the office of any of these fivefold have been called to the perfecting of the saints. So that means when you know when you are sitting under or you know when you have been around someone in the fivefold office because your gift will come to another level. Your life will come to another level. There is a perfecting, which means a maturing. The five-fold office was established, not so you see and become entertained by the supernatural, but so that you and I can be established in a mature place in the body of Christ. All right? Let's see how that maturity, what that maturity is is uh, actually elaborated upon in this verse. Because it says, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, in other words, for the building up of the body of Christ. So we are going to see that the maturity that is going to come forth from the fivefold office is... The edifying, that word edifying in the Greek language denotes building. So we need to understand it's a building up, it's an edifying, and that, that literally means going to the next level. How many of you know that when you're building something, you're taking it up to another level? Touch your neighbor and say, "I know I've been in the office of the fivefold ministry, when my discernment goes up to another level, when my love for the Lord goes up to another level, when my service goes up to another level, when my dedication to God, goes up to another level. When my ability to fight the enemy goes up to another level, can I get a witness somewhere? Okay, so the edifying is the building up and the building up is going up to another level. All right, so here we see, and and we're looking at this, it says here, for the edifying of the body of Christ, so that maturity is going to go up to another level. All right, so that's why the five-fold office, my assignment is not to teach you how to increase your business. All right, so in case you need to learn how to increase your business, you need to go to a corporate business seminar to learn how to increase your business. My responsibility is to take you to another level in God and to stretch your spirit to another place in God so that you will be able to fight all demonic power that wants to stop your destiny from coming forward can i get a witness somewhere all right so we're just making that real clear because because i've been i've been told that before all right until we all come into the unity of the faith, unto a perfect man. All right, what does that mean? That means a fivefold office is going to bring you into that maturity, into that unity of the faith, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of of the stature of the fullness of christ meaning the assignment of the fivefold fold office is also going to teach you character refinement okay that means the fivefold office is not going to allow your character to go unchecked i can't get any help in here the measure of the stature touch your neighbor and say measure is me don't okay the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So in everything that that we see in Christ, all right? I wanted to establish establish that fact to you today before we actually begin the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So let's go now to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. To our primary text tonight. Tonight will be much more teaching than it is preaching. We're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and the Bible, we're going to look at verse one. I want us to make an evaluation of verse one. I want us to understand it. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse one says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. All right, I want us to understand what Paul meant when he said, concerning pneumatic charisma, okay, Pneumatic gifts. The word gifts is the word charisma. And we must understand that that word charisma is a word for favor and a word for grace. Now concerning pneumatic charisma, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Now, I want you to understand this is not the only place in scripture where Paul has commanded the church not to be ignorant. But if we look at all the passages in the New Testament where Paul is making that same statement he made here, I would not have you ignorant. We are going to see that there is a common denominator where he is telling the church not to be ignorant. I'm going to quote to you some of the passages where he is commanding the church not to be ignorant. He is demanding that they be not ignorant in certain areas and the areas. All have a common denominator that have to do with something that is supernatural or something that is a mystery or something that is very difficult to understand. Where in normal reality we would be we would be ignorant. Okay, it we would be ignorant concerning the rapture of the church. Commanded us not to be ignorant, and that he gave the teaching on it. All right, so the areas that he is telling us not to be ignorant are areas that are very provocative and that they are very spiritual and they are very mysterious, meaning they are hidden. And if we don't understand them, they're going to stay hidden from our senses. Can I get a witness somewhere? So touch your neighbor and say because I can't see it, doesn't mean God doesn't want me to understand it. This with me because I can't see it doesn't mean God doesn't want me to understand it. Okay, let's look at the text here. First Thessalonians three seventeen. I'm going to use a um, a scripture. Okay, First uh, Thessalonians actually First Thessalonians. I believe that's four, not three. Let me just look at it really quickly. I think I have the wrong passage. First Thessalonians chapter four. Yes. Verse 13, it's not chapter 3, it's chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 says, But I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them that are asleep, all right, that you sorrow not, even as others that have no hope. He goes on to say, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. So why is he saying that? Because everything that Paul is teaching the church basically, unless it is fresh revelation that he has received by the word of the Lord, will literally be what the Hebrew scriptures are teaching. So he will take what the Hebrew scriptures have, have taught on basic morality, principles of morality, not the law, not in terms of what uh, what is kosher and not kosher, absolutely not, because he is teaching Gentiles, We must understand he's going to be teaching basic scripture from the Hebrew scriptures to the New Testament. But now he's going to share an area that the Hebrew scriptures does not delve into. This is why he says, I'm going to speak it to you by the word of the Lord. He doesn't want us to be ignorant concerning it. I am using this as a background, as a background. Drop so that we might understand how it is God's will that we are not ignorant concerning the gifts and the operations, and the ministries of the Holy Spirit in our midst. Okay, so let's see what Paul is saying about this provocative issue that he does not want us to be ignorant concerning. For by this we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them that are asleep For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. Okay? This is an area Paul is saying, I don't want you ignorant. Okay, so now we are seeing a mystery, and we are also seeing that this is the same backdrop for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Something that we normally would not study. Something we have never heard teaching about. Something that is very foreign to our minds. Something that we cannot see with our natural eye. The Holy Spirit is quickening Paul and he is teaching the church concerning the pneumatic gifts and the operations of the Spirit. I want you skilled at not ignorant. Hello, somebody. Can I get a witness? All right, let's see a second use of that word, of that sentence, I do not want you ignorant, so that we understand what we're getting into. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, the Bible says, moreover, brethren, I would not have you ignorant, that that you be ignorant. How are fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the cloud and the sea. Okay, this is a teaching that Moses is, that that Moses left as a legacy. And Paul is saying, I don't want you to be ignorant how they were all baptized unto Moses through the cloud and through the sea, because he's gonna share a spiritual truth about all of us being baptized into the kingdom of God and how uh, they ate the same spiritual meat and they all did drink the same spiritual drink and the rock that followed them was Christ. Okay, there's nowhere in scripture, in the Hebrew scriptures, we can verify that. Therefore, this is a revelation given to Paul. We have no frame of reference for it. So now we need to, except through Miriam's life. Okay, we have no frame of reference for it. So he's saying, I don't want you ignorant concerning it. Okay, because you can't see it, because you never heard about it before, does not qualify the fact that I do not want you ignorant concerning it. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. All right, I'm going to share with you another thing because there's a lot of things Paul doesn't want us ignorant about. He doesn't want us ignorant about the rapture. He doesn't want us ignorant about the spiritual gifts of the Spirit. And he doesn't want us ignorant about the fact that those that wandered in the wilderness murmured and complained. And because they murmured and complained, they died in the wilderness. Hello, somebody, can I get a witness? All right, let's look at another place that he said, I do not want you ignorant. All right, we're going to look at... Romans 11.25, here is another mystery. Okay, notice they're all mysteries. Touch your neighbor and say they're all mysteries. Okay, Romans 11.25 says, For I would not have you ignorant, brethren, of this mystery. What mystery is it? It is the mystery that after the Gentile era, then Israel is going to be saved. So at the close of the era of the Gentiles, at the close of this dispensation, at the close of the time from the upper room till the time that God chooses to close this last dispensation. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant because Israel then will be saved. Okay, so he doesn't want us ignorant on dispensations. He doesn't want us ignorant on how the gifts of the spirit work. He doesn't want us ignorant and guessing about the rapture. It's very clear. You don't have to go into a false doctrine about the rapture. It's right there in the word of God. Can I get a witness somewhere? All right. So now we know that he is directing us in this thesis that he is writing about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now concerning spiritual gifts brethren I do not want you ignorant. Let's look at the scripture and let us see what he's going to begin to teach us. What are these pneumatic gifts and how do they operate? Okay, first Corinthians chapter 12 verse 4 through 6. Now there are diversities of gifts but the same spirit and there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are differences of operations, but the same God who worketh all in all. Now, in English, we can get a bit deceived because the English word changes and it all becomes a variant of the first word that was used. If we look and we see there are, in, in verse 4, it says there are diversities of gifts. We look in verse 5, we see there are differences of administrations. And then we look in verse 6, and it says, and there are diversities of operations. It looks as if each one of those, the times we see differences and diversities, that they are two different words. But in the Greek language, they are not. In the Greek language, it is the same. In the Greek language, the word that is translated From the Greek, Croesus to this word is the word a proportion. Okay, it is very important that we understand the proportion of the gifts of the Spirit. Okay, because we're going to see here that the Bible is saying here as we look at it, the word a a proportionment is used three times. So the common denominator is a proportion so that god is going to give to every member in the body once you are baptized in the spirit everyone in the body of christ has been given a proportionate amount of pneumatic gifts that are resident within them all right and they are to be operating however The part of the equation that varies is not the apportionment. Everyone has an apportionment according to their calling, okay, and according to the needs in the body that you're serving in. Okay, so every member of the body has received a proportion of the pneumatic charisma that the Spirit of God wants to give. I can't get any help in here. But diversity now, say common denominator. So we have a common denominator broken up into three different areas of equation. First, we're going to see uh, varying a proportionate amount of the charismaton, okay? The scripture says here in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4, now there are proportionate, pro- a proportionments of charismaton. What is the charismaton? The word charismaton, the word charis is a word that means grace, means favor, all right? And this means that God, it also means deliverance. And it also means that the favor God wants to bestow on another person through you is resident in you. It actually abides in you through the pneumatic gifts of the spirit. So the favor is not about you. The favor is... Proportionment, everyone has a various proportionment, a proportionment of the diakonon, the diakonon, say it, diakonon, say it again, diakonon, in English it reads differences of administrations, that word administrations is not the word, it's diakonon. Okay what is diaconon once you have the god breathed pneumatic charisma dwelling within you there are various Levels of diaconon that you have also received by the spirit. The word diaconon is a word that is used for servanthood. It is a word that is used for service so that we understand that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have been given unto us to serve others. Can I get a witness and to serve in the church? Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor. I want to serve in the church by the grace of God. Okay, so here we see differences and apportionments of diakonon. What does that mean? That means if I'm baptized in the spirit, there's an apportionment, a resident gift in me that wants to serve. And if I haven't been serving, I need to stir up the gift of God that's within me. Okay, if I haven't been serving, then that means as soon as I start serving, the flame that is within me is going to be fanned, and I'm going to now start flowing in the supernatural. Okay? So we have the differences of the charismaton. Charismaton means that I have been empowered by God, with a proportion of grace to pour out on somebody else. So the grace is not about me, the grace is about the grace or the favor God wants to pour through me to someone else. So if there is a prophecy, someone received a favor from God. So if there is a healing, someone received a benefit of favor and cares through me being yielded to the Holy Spirit. Touch your neighbor and say they're pneumatic gifts. That means there's a certain flow. Okay. It blows like the wind. So that means I have to be yielded. Because Jesus said the wind blows where it listeth. So if the Holy Spirit is leading this way and we are leading that way by our own minds our carnal mind is at enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can it be. So my natural mind is going to cut off the things of the Spirit. But God wants to get the church to the place that we trust the Holy Spirit for everything we do in our life. And that the excellency of the power would not be of ourselves. But it would completely of God. Last one. Apportionments, okay? Okay, let's look at the let's look at it in English and then we'll see it in Greek. Okay. There are apportionments of charisma, a charismaton verse 4, but the same spirit. And there are apportionments of diakonon but the same Lord. And there are apportionments of the anerrmatan. An, say it with me. Anergerrmatan, say it. Anergerrmatan, which is where we get the word energy. Okay? Anergo. Anergo is the actual verb that is the root of that word. Okay, so the energo is the operation of the Spirit. It's the working of the Spirit. It's what stirs everything up by the Spirit of God, according to the power, the dunamis that worketh in you. Are you with me? If you are, see, amen. amen. Okay. Now, I want us to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He has explained in 1 Corinthians 12 how the gifts of the Spirit work. Let me just explain those gifts so you can see these charismaton, and you can understand these pneumatic gifts. These are the gifts that are flowing gifts. They're pneumatic. They all have a proportion, and they operate on different levels, different levers, levels of diakonon, different levels of um, anergon or uh, an ergomaton, or they also operate on different levels of charismaton, or the charisma. They all operate on different levels according as the need is in the body. So it's not just according to my election only, it's according to the need of the body. That means someone that is not really have a huge healing ministry can be sitting near someone who's sick. And according to the need of the body, if someone is yielded to the Holy Spirit, that means the pneumatic power of God can flow through someone who's not quote unquote known in the healing ministry, but is sitting and sensitive to the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to pour the favor of God through you somebody else. All right, let me just read these gifts, these pneumatic gifts and then we will get to the more uh, a way they operate and the more precious gifts to God. okay, the ones that the Holy Spirit prefers to be used in the church. okay? the specifically the gift of prophecy. How does it operate? How do we submit ourselves to it? Do we just wait till someone says, thus saith the Lord? Is that the only way the gift of prophecy works? I'm going to tell you something, people of God. The church right now, if we were to take a scale, and I do not like to give estimates without statistics, but I'm going to give estimates without statistics from 40-something years of experience. This generation is a generation that operates And I would say a little over maybe 1% of the gifts of the spirit. All right. We know, okay, we know when we do a subject study on the brain, and you have an expert that does a subject study on the brain, and they're saying you're only using a certain potential amount of brain, of, of, of usage in your brain, okay? But if we look at the book of Acts, And we understand how the church was designed. The church was designed to operate in the supernatural. The church was designed that every joint supply and that every person, not only have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit, but that every person in the body knows how to flow in those gifts. Can I get a witness somewhere? I know it's hard because we're so used to everybody doing everything for us, but touch your neighbor and say, God's going to start exercising me in the gifts of the spirit. Put your hands up right now. say, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're gonna start exercising me to become an expert in edifying the church. You're gonna start using me to start praying for the sick and they're gonna be healed. You're gonna start using me to cast out demons. You're gonna start using me to interpret tongues. You're gonna start using me to discern spirits. You're gonna start using me to speak in tongues and to understand the mysteries of tongues. You're gonna start using me in the supernatural Natural. Somebody ought to give God the praise and give God the glory. All right. So let us look here at these incredible gifts of the Holy Spirit. All right. This is how, remember, apportionment. So when you see where it says to one is given faith, to another healing, this is the way we've always interpreted it. You get healing and you get tongues and you get prophecy and you get miracles. Wrong touch your neighbor and say, We have them all, but they are apportioned differently according to the calling, according to the anarchy, and according to the charismaton, and according to the diaconon. I hope you understand. So it's not like she has the gift of tongues. She has the gifts of healing. She, wait a minute. Touch your neighbor and say, I have access to all of them because the Holy Ghost isn't split up. He lives inside of me. And wherever there's a need, he's going to use me in that need if I'm not ignorant. Touch your neighbor and say, I don't want to be ignorant in this area. Okay? This is where God wants to use you. This is where God's going to use you mightily. All right. This is where your great anointing is going to come in. So here we go. For to one is given by the Spirit a word of wisdom, I'm not going to go over these pneumatic gifts tonight. To another is given word of knowledge by the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, the gifts, gifts plural, of healing by the same spirit. To another, working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, diverse types of tongues, which we will speak about later. Um, to another, interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that the one and self same spirit dividing. What does that mean? Not... Not here, here you get two, you get three. Know that word apportionments again. Okay, so apportionments by the Spirit to every man severally as he will. So, in other words, I have resident in me, let's just say I have resident in me, Um, let's use the gift, let's just say uh, Pastor Deborah, she has resident within her speaking in tongues. And maybe that's her greatest gift, all right? But she also has resident in her miracles because if someone near her needs a miracle, God can use her life through the Holy Spirit to bring favor on that person who needs a miracle. Do you all understand what we're talking about here? All right, so let's go to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14 is the more in-depth thesis of what Paul is going to speak about. He's now going to speak to the body in a material manner. He's now going to, he has already explained what the gifts are and why they are given and how they are dispersed. But now he's going to speak to what they are and how they operate. All right, here we see... In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Follow after agape and desire pneumatic gifts. Touch your neighbor and say, desire pneumatic gifts. Okay, he said, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning pneumatic gifts. And he said, desire pneumatic gifts. Okay, in another place, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, he said, Covet earnestly, meaning desire earnestly and crave. That word is crave in the Greek. Crave the best pneumatic gifts. Okay, so Paul wants to build within us a hunger for the supernatural. He wants the church to be based on Uh, supernatural why not just so we can say this is a church of signs and wonders so everybody can be on a spiritual high no he is going to show us a much more mature version than that he's going to show us because it's going to take a dying to self and it's going to take an edifying of itself in love to build up someone else It's not God's will that we come to church every single week and get more and more revelation and do not pour that revelation out on one another. It is not God's will that the church does not operate as a body bearing the burdens of one another without anybody even having to tell you, all right? God wants to bring us to the place that we're so sensitive to each other needs that we love one another to such a degree that we already sense the need before we get there All right he wants us to, to live this life this is the way we are to live this is not this is a lifestyle okay a lifestyle of the anointing. A lifestyle of flowing in God's power. A lifestyle of being used of God. A lifestyle of knowing how the supernatural works. Okay? Here's what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Looking at verse 1. Follow after agape and desire pneumatic gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. All right? First of all, he is saying in the Greek it says pursue Agape or chase after agape and be zealous of pneumatic gifts. All right, then it says, but rather that you may prophesy. Now verse two is the one I want to focus on. Verse two says, for he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not to men, but to God. For no man understandeth him Howbeit, in the spirit, he speaketh mysteries. Now, I want you to understand something. First of all, the Bible is using here, we have in Acts chapter 1 and in 1 Corinthians 14, we can run into some error. And that is through the use of the word tongues. Because we have made that gift extremely generic. All right, when we say speaking in tongues, we think that that is all the same gift when there are, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, the Bible says diverse types of tongues in King James. That's really King James. That's real old school, okay? But what it says in the Greek, Is that there are different breeds, or there are different breeds of tongues. Different, the the word literally means different species. So this means that this charismatic gift of speaking in tongues comes in various species. Okay, and I'm gonna explain the species of those gifts. You say, what do you mean by species? Okay, if you have a fish pond. There is a huge difference between a catfish and a bass. They're not the same. They operate differently. They're even in different types of water. Okay. Same thing with um, let's just say um, flowers. You've got different species of flowers. You've got roses. Okay. But roses are not daisies. But they're all flowers. But they're a different species. Okay. The scripture is going to show us a very distinct distinction here when we see it in the Greek language and we realize how generic the English language has been that it has caused confusion. All right, so speaking in an unknown tongue is a different version of speaking in tongues. Okay, speaking in an unknown tongue is not what they used on the day of Pentecost. Speaking in an unknown tongue was not the gift used in the upper room, but yet they were speaking in tongues. It was a different breed. Touch your neighbor and say it was a different breed. A different function for a different unction. Say this with me, a different function for a different unction. Okay, what Paul speaking about here in First Corinthians chapter 14 is he is saying, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue, let's look at it, unknown tongue, speaketh not unto men, that means it's not a language known to men, speaketh not unto men, but unto God, because he speaketh to God in mysteries, or translated, in secrets. So this means there is a special breed of speaking in tongues, a special gift of speaking in tongues that is not known to men. It is a special tongue that does, is not here on Earth. That's why Paul said, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. Okay, two different breeds, okay? And this is a uh, a tongue that is given to you by the Holy Ghost to build yourself up in your most holy faith. So that means when I pray in an unknown tongue, it is not a language here from earth. It is a language that the Holy Spirit prays through me with groanings that cannot be uttered. So it doesn't necessarily mean I'm gonna groan and pray, but it does mean that there's going to be certain longings within my soul that I have been unable to properly articulate to God, and my spirit's all bottled up. I need to get it out. Something that has hindered me or something that is within me that God wants to build up that's going to happen. For example, I'm going to take a sidebar here and give you an example. When Peter went up on that roof in Acts chapter 10, in Acts chapter 10, prior to his going up on the roof, he had raised Dorcas from the dead. He was under an anointing. All right. We also know that when he went up on the roof, the Bible says it was the sixth hour. Sixth hour is not the time of traditional Jewish prayer. So he was not praying the traditional Jewish prayers when he went up there. And he had just recently been baptized in the Holy Ghost. So when he went up on that roof at noon to pray, I don't think he was praying traditional prayers in Hebrew. I believe with all my heart that he was praying in the spirit and did not understand what he was praying. I believe he was praying for what was about to happen in a few minutes. Because something was going to happen just a few minutes after praying in an unknown tongue. Three men were going to appear at the door while he was praying in the Holy Ghost. Something happens to interpret what he's praying, a vision which is a Form of interpretation of your tongues. A vision comes down from heaven. And on that vision is a talit with different unkosher animals. And the voice says arise, kill, and eat. He argues with the boys. And it's done three times. And the talit is taken back to heaven. And the Spirit said, Behold, three men seek thee. And that's all the Spirit said. He said, Get down there with nothing doubting. Peter had no idea what was going to happen. But when he was praying on the roof in the Holy Ghost, he was building up his spirit and he was praying prophetically for something that was about to happen to change Christianity forever. The house of Cornelius had seven men. And Peter went with them. And they were baptized. You see, when you receive this gift of tongues, unknown tongues, it's meant to have a companion. But it doesn't come with the companion. Like when you go to a store and you see something on sale and you want the product, it's got a lot of things you can buy with it. It's got oh, you you're buying this lovely purse, but it also has with it some products that go with the purse. You don't get the products unless you purchase it. The gift. Of was meant that interpretation go with that gift but the reason we don't have it is because we don't ask for it if I were to ask anyone in this room when was the last time you prayed earnestly to interpret your tongues I can guarantee you not sure there would even be one of us that would say I was seeking God to interpret my tongues. This is what God has ordained the gift for. He wants you to interpret. The interpretation may not just come with the vernacular. It may come in the form of a vision. It may come through feelings of your inner man, something you're sensing after you pray. Peter became very hungry when he went up on the roof. People of God, the hour is coming. We need to get the church back in order with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. All right. So, unknown tongue. We speak to God in mysteries. But now, watch this. On the day of Pentecost, it was not unknown tongues. The Bible said They were filled with the Holy Ghost and they spoke with different tongues, a different species, a different breed of the pneumatic gift. The Bible says they went down and they went into the streets on the day of Pentecost, which was Shavuot in Jerusalem, where there were multitudes of of believers there. Believers, not Christian believers, devout Jews, the Bible says, from every place on the earth. And they did not speak Hebrew. They were individuals who came to Yerushalayim for a pilgrimage. They came up and they didn't speak Hebrew. They knew Hebrew prayers, but they didn't speak Hebrew. They spoke Greek. They spoke Crete. They spoke uh, Arabic uh, dialects. They spoke various languages, but those in the upper room, when they came down, they began to praise God and magnify God, and they that heard them magnifying God, heard them magnifying God in their language. This is why the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 8, How hear we every man speak in our own tongue? Verse 11, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. So this means someone who was in the upper room praying and getting the baptism went down into the street and started speaking, praising God in Cretan language. Someone else began to praise God in a dialect of African language. And the person, the Holy Spirit, led them near the persons of those languages so that it became a sign to the unbeliever. This is where the confusion comes. Because Paul says, don't speak in tongues unless there's an interpreter. He wasn't speaking about the gift that came on Pentecost. It was the other gift of unknown tongues when there's an interpreter. Do you all understand? This is why he said, gifts are, uh, tongues are assigned to the unbeliever. It seems to be contradictory when he's saying, don't pray in tongues, otherwise when those that are unbelievers come in, they're gonna think that you're beating the air. And then he says the gifts, the tongues are assigned to the unbeliever. What's going on here? It sounds confusing. Because there's two primary manifestations of speaking in tongues. I'll never forget in 1985, I was in Israel. We were leading a tour. We were on the Mount of Olives. I remember this as clear as the day is long. My husband was there. I was there. We were on the Mount of Olives, and I began, I I began praising God. And all of a sudden, this is long before I was really studying Torah. I began speaking. I didn't know I was speaking in Hebrew. I had no idea, till the tour guide told me. I was up. I was raising my hands and praising, just along with everyone. And the tour guide said, where did you study Hebrew? And I had no idea. See, my spirit was already inclined to Hebrew, I guess. And I guess getting in that atmosphere of praising God, it just clicked inside of me and i started to speak praising in hebrew i had no idea i was praising in hebrew and he began to tell me that i was saying words about god's name i can't remember the whole thing but he was almost weeping he said you mean you never studied hebrew i said no i didn't okay it was a sign to that jewish man are you with me do you understand all right so this is what the holy spirit wants us to operate in, but he also wants us to have our own prayer language. We need that prayer language because we don't know what we're going to face tomorrow. And when you are praying in your heavenly language, you are praying mysteries to God. And this is why God says, pray that you may interpret so that when you are praying in your heavenly language, that there may be. You may be praying, Holy Spirit, open the door that I can go to China. And you didn't know it was God's will for you to go to China. But you were praying in the Holy Ghost. And as soon as you got the interpretation, God began to reveal to you His will. All right. Do we understand this? If you do, say amen. Okay. So here we are seeing... That Paul is saying here, he is saying, let's look at it and look at it again so we can understand, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue, which we explained to you, speaketh not unto men but unto God, for no man understandeth him, howbeit he speaketh. Speaketh in mysteries, but he that prophesieth, he that prophesieth, speaketh unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. So, what is Paul saying? He's saying he wants us to speak in tongues but he is saying he wants us to excel in edifying one another he wants us to learn how to excel in edifying the church all right so he it is his it is his uh It is his law as an apostle. It is the way he wants the government of the church operating. That the church would be a prophetic church. He said, I would that you all spoke with tongues, but rather that you prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues in the church except that he interpret. So that means anything that brings my brother edification. Anything that's going to edify my brother, God wants us to excel in. So that means that we need to learn how to excel in building one another up, learning how to prophesy, to strengthen one another. Let me give you some examples, dear saints of God, on how the early church operated in prophecy and the place of prophecy in the early church. I want you to know that the entire book of Acts is based on prophecy operating in the early church. God wants his church to get back to a place where prophecy directs our lives, where prophecy directs our ministry, where prophecy directs our decisions, where prophecy directs what we are supposed to do, where we are supposed to go, how we are supposed to operate, what God of the gift of prophecy beginning to operate in monumental and monumental fashion right after Paul's conversion. All right, prior to Paul's conversion, we know that there that obviously speaking in tongues is a form of when especially when it's interpreted, it is a form of prophecy. But however, we do not have evidence of a lot of prophetic activity. We have healings. The first miracle that took place after the upper room was the healing of the man at the gate beautiful who was born lame. All right. We have several miracles and we have a lot of miracles in terms of being able to endure the persecution in the early church. However, beginning in Acts 9, the entire landscape of the book of Acts is going to shift. Paul comes on the scene, and we are going to see how prophecy operates. I want you to understand, one of the versions of prophecy that God wants to release into our life, it is absolutely essential. And we need to understand that visions are a form of prophecy. Say this with me. Visions are a form of prophecy. God wants visions in our life. God wants us to begin to start seeing visions, hearing God's voice, hearing God speak to us, whether it's in just our mind and we see it in the spirit or we see it outwardly, whatever way it is, God wants to start releasing visions into the church. Let him that hath the ear hear what the spirit has to say. All right, I'm going to show, I'm going to explain to you. This incredible form of prophecy, when it was operating in the early church, we're going to see it doubled, okay? We're going to see it in chapter 9, and we're going to see it repeated again in chapter 10, the exact way it was in chapter 9. We're going to see someone receive a vision, and another person get the second part of their vision. Okay, so we're going to see... Paul get a call on the road to Damascus, but that's all he gets. He said, go to the city, and it will be told to you what you're to do. He doesn't know anything. He's knocked off his horse. He hears a voice from heaven when he's on his way to persecute the church. And the voice says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he says, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. And he said, What would you have me do, Lord? And he said, Go into the city and it will be told to you what to do. End of the vision. Now, in the city of Damascus, someone else is gonna get part two of the vision. I release unto you right now for your calling. You will get part one of your vision, but someone you're supposed to be connected to is gonna get part two of your vision. I hope you understand this. Touch your neighbor and say, that's a lifestyle. This is not not some joke. This is reality. It's more reality than the ground we're standing on. Okay? Paul doesn't know anything. He's blinded and he can't eat. And he's led by the men that heard the voice into Damascus, and he doesn't know what's going to happen. But the Bible says, and there was in Damascus, In Acts chapter 9, look at the context. The beginning of Acts chapter 9, we have in verse 4, we have Paul's vision. He's falling to the ground off the horse. And then in Acts 9, beginning in verse 10, a certain disciple by the name of Ananias. Notice it didn't say a prophet. Notice it wasn't somebody in the office of prophet. Notice, it was a certain disciple. Touch your neighbor and say, I want to be that certain disciple. Okay? Are you missing prophecy from your life? Are you missing visions and words God wants to speak to you for the building up of the body of Christ? A certain disciple named Ananias was in Damascus. And watch this part two where the vision comes. It's Paul's vision. But it's now ended. He only gets a few words. The rest of the vision is going to someone he doesn't even know. Someone is getting downloaded. A vision from God. And the scripture goes on to say, here we see it. The scripture says, a vision. The Bible says their a serpent and disciple. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, behold, here I am. And the Lord said to him, arise, go to a street called Straight. And inquire in the house of Judas. For one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him that he might receive his sight. And Ananias said, Lord, I've heard by many that this man, how much evil he's done to the saints at Jerusalem, and how he has come here to bind with all authority. Oh, this vision doesn't make sense. You're telling me, Lord, to go there and lay hands on him Okay, the vision's going to break you out of your box. The vision is going to lead you, and the vision's going to tell you exactly where to go. You're not going to be led astray. The vision is going to direct you. If you trust the Holy Spirit... God is going to do it. If you are baptized in the Spirit, you are a baptized believer, you have laid your life down for the Gospel, and you are sold out for God, and not looking at your watch, looking at what God is telling you to do. If you are sold out to God, He will direct you by the vision. notes for a fact. I already shared this last Sunday night in 1980-something, one of my trips to the People's Republic of China. I was with my former missionary team and they didn't look like missionaries at all. He looked like Popeye. He was elderly. His name was Paul W. Hour. And he had a little red bag that he carried everywhere. And his wife was Mae hour. He was planning on retiring from being an engineer. But when he retired, God put him in the full-time ministry. And he traveled. He and his wife traveled with me in the younger days. And they were bold enough to go with me to the People's Republic to smuggle Bibles in. This is one of our many Bible smuggling missions into the People's Republic of China. And Paul W. had inside of his little, in those days, we didn't have those roller bags, you know. You had those shoulder bags. My husband used to carry quite a few when he traveled because he'd have to carry mine and my mother's. And that was not easy. We have a picture of Brother Manuel. I'm not kidding you, at the airport with like 10 bags, because he would never let the women carry them, all right? So, So those bags was a shoulder bag, and in that shoulder bag was packed with New Testaments in Mandarin Chinese. They looked like little Mao books. We had been to Quang Chow, to the square there. We had all these Bibles. So Paul and Anna Mae, we just walked into the we walked into the oh, this little marketplace. and we put some Bibles under the lettuce and we put some Bibles, so we were smuggling them everywhere. We put Bibles uh, years later. And I don't remember who's with me here. Terry Calderon's not here. she was with me. We went to China much later again, but this time, we were in the University of Shanghai. And I thought, Lord God, these are, Chi- these are Chinese university students. They gotta, they gotta get scriptures. So We took this little bus that was driving us around and the windows were open and I started throwing out the New Testaments for them to pick them up. And they were picking up the New Testaments. Hello, somebody, can I get a witness? Partially English, partially Mandarin, so they could learn English. It was the little way. Learn English, throwing it out the window. It was a miracle we didn't get arrested. I wouldn't suggest it to anyone unless God told you. (laughs) But we were there, and the Holy Spirit said, stop. Stop what you're doing. We stopped. and He said, go stand over there. There was a building with a huge window. We went up there to stand, and he said, just wait. So we did. Now I want you to know, when you're risking your life for the gospel, there's a special anointing, okay? I don't know if it's going to happen like this every time you turn around, but this time it was a special anointing. Okay, so we were standing there. And the Holy Spirit wouldn't let us leave. He just said, just wait. And I thought, oh, gosh, is somebody spying on us or something? Are they ready to come and arrest us? What's going on here? But we did. We stayed there for about 15 minutes. About 15 minutes later, a man walks up, and he keeps walking around the window where we're standing. I could see his face in the reflection. And he walked back and forth several times. And finally, he came up to me, and he spoke English. And he said, do you have something for me? And I said, yes, I do. And I handed him the bag of Bibles. Do you understand what happened? The Holy Spirit told a pastor from the underground church where we were. That is why we brought the Bibles in. I did not know him from Adam, but the Holy Ghost knew him. The same Holy Spirit that told us to go to China was the same Holy Spirit that told him to come and get the Bibles and where they were located. the vision. Say this with me, Holy Ghost. I want everybody that's got part B of the assignment you've been given me. I want to connect with those that you have called to connect me with in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach. Okay, so we know what happened. Paul gets part A, And Ananias gets part B. He finds Paul, he lays hands on him. The direct location is given. Go to a street called Straight, and there you will find one Saul of Tarsus. He told him exactly where he's staying. Now the same thing's gonna happen in the next chapter. There's going to be a man and he's going to be praying. And the Bible tells us at a certain hour of the day that an angel from heaven comes and says to you, Cornelius, your life and your prayers have become a memorial and your fastings before God. Now. Behold, go to the house of one who is called Simon the Tanner, and he resides by the seashore. And inquire there for one named Simon, whose surname is Peter, and it will be told to you what to do. At the same time, Peter's up on the roof, and he's getting part B of the vision. Peter is seeing a tallit come down from heaven. And he is seeing unkosher animals on that visionary tallit. And as soon as the voice tells him, arise, kill, and eat, and he doesn't argue with the voice anymore, the voice says, three men seek you. And that was the beginning of the baptism of the Spirit for Gentiles. And for Paul, it was the beginning of the greatest of all the apostles, the man of God, who went to the Gentiles. I can't get any help in here. You see, whenever we see the vision operating, touch your neighbor and say, the vision is the form of prophecy. God wants the vision to those of you who are sent on a mission, to those of you who have a calling, to those of you who need to know what God wants you to do. You can access the vision because it is given to you to know how to do the work of God. I'm closing it here. I'm closing it here. Here's, here's what we're going to say In Acts chapter 13, prophecy governed the church at Antioch. And the spirit of God said, separate to me Saul and Barnabas for the work whereto I have called them. And the Bible says, when they prayed and fasted, they laid hands on him and they departed. Uh, led by the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 15, the laws governing the entire church, the Bible says it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and also to us. Notice it didn't say it seemed good to us and to the Holy Ghost. No, no, no. It says it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and also to us. All right, so the Holy Ghost governed it. In Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 9, prophecy works not only in a vision, but now prophecies going to work in dreams. This is how the gift of prophecy worked through Paul. Constantly when Paul needed direction, God Released the gift of prophecy in his dreams. The Bible tells us when he set out on his missionary journey, he did not know what route to take. He began to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of God did not allow him. And then he essayed to go to Mysia, but the Spirit of God stopped him. And the Bible says that night he went to sleep and had a night vision. And a man of Macedonia appeared in the vision and said, Come over here and help us. And the Bible says, Paul turned his this entire course around you see if you follow the leading of what is happening here prophecy is governing the church The church is submitting to the prophecy that God is releasing in that church and God wants to bring that same anointing to the body of Christ today In Acts chapter 11, a prophet by the name of Agabus stood up and prophesied a world famine. And the body of Christ that heard that prophecy began to start saving up their money and sending relief to the poor saints that were in Jerusalem, which prophecy became fulfilled years later. You see, they didn't wait to see, is this of God or not of God? They began to act on the voice of the Holy Spirit the moment that he spoke it. I am preaching to you tonight you know why because i'm releasing in this house the spirit of prophecy over you that is why i have spent this time going over this teaching because this teaching is going to cause the holy spirit to fall on you
0: thank you for joining us today it is our prayer that this word broke bondages and will open doors for you If you have never received Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, invite him now to be your Lord and Savior and best friend. Repeat this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. Wash me clean from all my sins. I accept you as my personal Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you soon.